Hello, everybody. Today is Wednesday, June 20th, and we're bringing you Block Digest number 107 at block height 528,390. And ew, ant pool mined this block. Ew. <laughs> but, uh, what are you going to do? Uh, sadly, nothing. I, I don't have hash power to reorg. But uh, <laughs> Mr. Shinobi Monkey, I uh, am happy to announce that I am back on Twitter. My shit is finally functional again, and I would like to introduce the cast, Mr. Rick. Yeah, man. Congratulations on getting your followers back. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Hope everybody's having a good Wednesday here. And before I introduce Miss Janine, MG, you can go to hell. Factum is a scam. Say hi to everybody, Janine. <laughs> Hello. Acnix, what's going on? Hey, uh, and also Factum is most definitely a scam. And how are you doing today, Nopara? You don't control your private keys. You don't control your Twitter. <laughs> that's true yeah yes it's very true but i can bitch and scream until they give me back control of it because i i am an angry person and people get scared of angry persons and uh they, they you should be a coinbase user <laughs> <laughs> all right though uh kind of had a lot built up on the news desk so just gonna dive right into it and probably not hit two hours today but let's give it a shot. Let's go for it. All right. So real quick, uh, Bitcoin Core uh, 0.16.1 is out. Um, mostly just uh, some minor bug fixes. Um, dealt with a denial of service attack vector, uh, a bug that could have lost miners money and updated the relay policy to ban any transaction uh, containing op code separator. Um, and for those who don't know what that is, real quick, it's pretty much an opcode that allows a signature to commit to only part of a script. And um, it, it's pretty much kind of useless and a horrible design flaw uh, that probably shouldn't have been put in there that Satoshi didn't clean up during his opcode purge way back in the day. Uh, if you want to dig around, um, it's described on the Bitcoin wiki and two proposals I've seen were um, one by uh, Sergio DeLerner from Rootstock to try to compress a transaction by kind of using this to just um, kind of refer to a pre-existing signature for out multiple outputs from a single address at the loss of privacy and a BIP the number of which escapes me right now that Luke proposed a while back. But uh, for the most part, it's pretty much completely useless. Um, so yeah, if you guys want to upgrade some bug fixes, uh, something to dig into as far as old opcodes, if you guys want to dig deep into that one. Uh, but on to the next one. Sure, everybody saw the uh, Bank of International Settlements, uh, air quote, report on cryptocurrencies and um it is one giant steaming pile of horseshit and i've seen a lot of people out there pretty much looking at this as an indication of the bis's complete incompetence and lack of understanding of things but uh from my point of view that is absolutely not the case 
they, they have demonstrated in parts of this paper a very thorough and accurate understanding of the system and then gone on from that point to completely misrepresent things after showing a very clear understanding of things. Um, for instance, uh, this, the beginning is kind of just a, a brief overview of the history and reasoning for money painting central banks in a positive light. <laughs> uh, cough, cough, laugh, slash us. But if you really dive into the cryptocurrency section, the first thing I want to note here is the, this money flower graph, which is kind of looking at different payment mechanisms um, based on different qualities, such as how accessible they are, whether they're digital or not, whether they're central bank issued or whether they're peer to peer. And obviously we can see at the very bottom here is uh, commodity money such as gold or historically things like salt, grain, so on and so forth, which are both peer-to-peer -peer and widely accessible. And up on the polar opposite of this here, we have central bank reserve and settlement accounts, which are really only accessible by banks and financial institutions, um, kind of used for net settlement at the, the root of the, the financial system as it exists now. But kind of the, uh, the silly thing here is in the middle, central bank um, digital currencies and how this is kind of placed in, in the middle of this flower, so to say, where it is or would be widely accessible digital central bank issued and peer-to-peer. -peer. Um, that last one, peer-to-peer, -peer, I would call horse shit. But th this is not an, an accidental thing. Th this is them very calculatedly in my opinion putting a central bank digital currency in the middle to imply its optimal possession of, of all the properties of different kinds of payment mechanisms and money and to kind of dig a little further into it they start breaking down um you know permissionless ledgers and public cryptocurrencies um and one of the things that they explicitly spell out in here is the probabilistic nature of a confirmation of a proof of work based system. So here in this diagram, we can kind of see a flow chart where they show the nature of a centralized ledger, a permissioned blockchain where updates are locked off to specific peers, and then a permissionless ledger where it is open for anybody to use. And Kind of going based on this statement and this very clear understanding of the finality of payment being probabilistic. Uh, where is this section? All right. Uh, as usual, Shinobi Monkey cannot find the section he's going to rant about in this paper. So, <laughs> so um, pretty much what, when describing the... Uh, potential of a chain reorganization and a double spend through that, they very carefully and explicitly use the term counterfeiting to describe a reorganization wiping out a payment and replacing it with another. Uh, th this is very clearly calculated propaganda. Like it is impossible to counterfeit a Bitcoin to make a Bitcoin that has not been created within the protocol rules is impossible. To do so is to fork off and create another protocol, another network that will be incompatible with the existing network and not recognized under absolutely any circumstances. 
So the description of a, a chain reorganization as far as counterfeiting is horseshit. This language was specifically chosen because this paper is going to be combed over by many financial experts at many financial institutions all over the world to create the impression that counterfeiting, which is the single thing that a network like this absolutely with 100% certainty makes completely impossible, seem possible to financial institutions that might be looking at this kind of technology, things like Bitcoin and how they can actually use them in their services and products. So th this is not a misunderstanding. This is not a display of incompetence. This is outright manipulative lying to a specific end to make their services seem more tenable or valuable than something like Bitcoin. And as well, this graphic that had nothing to do with what I was just ranting about. Um, in this first one here, we can see the projection of energy consumption. From the figures I've been looking at, um, Bitcoin has been inflated by almost twice what its actual consumption is. It, it would be something like 30 terawatts a year. So this, this graph right here is just a complete fabrication in terms of the data that it's representing. Obviously, um, everybody who's been paying attention to scale la layered scaling solutions can see that this transactions a second graph is pretty much completely and utterly irrelevant comparing things like Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal to existing cryptocurrencies. And the biggest fallacy in this paper, aside from the misrepresentation of counterfeiting, is projection of chain size because they they pretty much come from the assumption that absolutely every transaction has to be directly recorded on the chain itself. That is complete nonsense. Like, look at the Lightning Network paper, look at what is being developed in that protocol right now. Look at side chains. And even, even ignoring all of those things, sweeping side chains, Tumblebit, the Lightning Network completely off the table, like they completely ignore the potential and the utility in this being used as a net settlement system between financial institutions. Like Bitcoin would still have the thermodynamic guarantee provided by proof of work, cementing and solidifying its supply and allow conventional financial institutions to simply net settle while processing and you know your end consumers payments through account based systems as most of the financial system works now. So they have completely ignored all of the progress in top layer protocols to actually transact in a decentralized way and completely ignored the potential of using this as a simple net settlement system between financial institutions, which is something that has literally been talked about since 2010. So they, they've completely ignored half of the data that they should be looking at. And as well, I'm going to grab my physical copy here. I made a few notes on things. Um, later in the paper, uh, they go back into the nature of the finality of a payment being a probabilistic guarantee based on proof of work and go into the potential of miners pretty much rewriting the history of the chain if they have a majority of computing power. This is displaying the exact same fallacy that most detractors of Bitcoin and proof of work systems continuously engage in. A mining pool is not an accurate representation of the control over actual hash power.
And looking at the distribution of hash power amongst mining pools is absolutely no intellectually honest analysis of the distribution of control of the actual ASICs and hardware themselves. So that, that is not a way to look at the potential or the likelihood of a chain reorganization. As well, they state that it is impossible for the finality of a payment to reach 100% in terms of guarantee. This is objectively false. Bitcoin Core and every client out there initiates checkpoints that are used to speed up the initial block download by pretty much checkpointing a block height that's usually a few tens of thousands of blocks back in the past to not uh, create the potential of problems as far as you know legitimate chain reorganizations or to, to kind of not put the software developers in control of deciding what is the longest chain. The checkpoint is only put there after it's buried under so much work that it is practically impossible that a chain reorganization would go back that far. So anything that is a confirmed payment prior to a checkpoint in a software release has an absolute 100% guarantee of finality. There is no reorgan, like you cannot reorganize back before a checkpoint. So that is a factual inaccuracy. And as well, they highlight the 2013 um, split due to the database bug introduced by Mike Hearn as miners departing from the protocol ruling what is the longest chain. This is strictly incorrect. What happened was the protocol change in, in the new client that initiated this fork, it, it changed the protocol. It changed what would be considered valid under the protocol uh, compared to the pre-existing protocol. Miners did not just ignore and manually choose a chain ignoring the protocol. What they did was downgraded to the pre-existing protocol and continued building on the chain that was considered valid under that protocol. At no time did miners just choose to ignore the protocol that they were running. What they did was switch the protocols that they were running. So this is strictly completely technically inaccurate. And you know, for the most part, like the, these are really the, the glaring errors in, in the paper, at least regarding cryptocurrencies. But um, one of the last things I wanted to point out um, before I get into my next thing, I know I've been rambling quite a bit here, is they did a small analysis of stable coins or coins that are supposed to be pegged one to one to a fiat currency. And they choose to analyze BitUSD and die, which I've never even heard of before, in terms of their volatility uh, against the peg to the dollar. And I find it very interesting that they did not analyze Tether or any of the other coins out there. For instance, Tether has, for the most part, stayed almost perfectly in line with its peg to the dollar. And the only instance of a major fluctuation departing from that dollar was after Kraken opened a USD-USDT trading pair and we're pretty much trolling traders to short Tether. So th they literally explicitly set up a pair between US dollars and US dollar Tether and were inciting traders to pretty much destabilize the peg, which shortly after snapped right back into line with the one to one dollar peg. So I think that th this kind of analysis of stable coins was very, um, disingenuous in its framing in the the coins that they chose to actually analyze so 
Long and short, this paper is complete horseshit, but don't walk away from this thinking that the Bank of International Settlements does not understand this space and does not understand how this technology works. They very clearly do if you actually dig through this paper and chose to intentionally misrepresent things to attempt to paint Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in a very negative light and kind of gloss over and clean up the perception of services offered by traditional financial institutions and central banks. So th th this is not a, a display of their idiocy. This is a, a display of their manipulativeness and willingness to lie and misrepresent things to protect their own interest. And, whew, all right. I'm glad you uh, boiled that down for me, man, because, yeah, like you were saying, the news desk is pretty filled up. And when I started to skim through this one, I was like, wait a minute, some of this stuff isn't making sense. These graphs, where the, where's all this information coming from? And, you know, you really just answered my question there and was wondering whether or not they really know what's going on. But, I mean, if they do, I mean, like, there's a lot of regulations that are coming into place right now and a lot of uh, government, you know, scrutiny as to what's going on in this space. And I guess they're just trying to put some information out there in front of these guys that says, like, this isn't really a good way to go. And maybe uh, they should stick with this. And I was curious, like that money flower that you had, that middle, uh, that middle pedal that those guys were uh, talking about as a central bank digital currency that's a peer to peer and centrally issued. It's like uh, one of those things that we are starting to see a trend of is like, you know, different nations going towards different currencies and different pairings and all that sort of stuff. So maybe it would, maybe they're discussing like, this is a geographical, like people are going to use this. I don't know. It's a, uh, it's definitely kind of like a confusing long paper where, you know, I appreciate you breaking that down for me so I can understand what they're thinking. Cause yeah, there's a lot of this back and forth going down right now within government discussions. And so I guess this paper is going to be up in front of them. Some of them might trick, Few, few guys, we'll see. Mm -hmm. And I guess uh, any thoughts, you know, from any of you guys on the paper before I move on to the next thing I'm covering? Sorry, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying to hit that two-hour mark today. I guess we're good, man. All right. Well, then I guess uh, last thing in Shinobi Monkey's headlines today are. Um, Bitcoin Hacks by Mr. Richard Hart. I guess his air quote legitimate ICO to do air quote computational fluid dynamics and air quote wasn't enough. He's now launching Bitcoin Hacks, forking Bitcoin onto Ethereum. But no, it's, it's not, it doesn't end there, people. It's not just an ERC-20 token emulating the Bitcoin supply. It's Marxist coin. There, there is a proof of stake mechanism to this that is going to take unclaimed coins, including Satoshis, and redistribute them to stakers as well. Hey, are you a big Bitcoin holder? Are you a big Bitcoin whale? Guess what? If you choose to claim this, the more coins you have, the more of your coins are going to be stolen from you and redistributed to other people because we can't have people keeping their own property or being too wealthy. You know, that, that just goes completely against the Marxist ideology. You know, it, it's, it's, we, we, we gotta be fair in, in what we do with your property as far as other people guys. And the, the funniest thing to me is that the only two members on the team page are Richard Hart and this man, Karen Mosquito, 
who claims to be a developer who's contributed to Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Primecoin. Well, if you dig through his GitHub, he does not have a fork of the Bitcoin client. He has not contributed a single line of code to the Bitcoin client. And really the only project on his GitHub repository I can see even remotely related to Bitcoin is a tool to take your Bittrex and Poloniex deposit addresses and export them. Because apparently it's too complicated for people to simply copy and paste a single address. You need a developer tool to handle that for you. So I would like to give a round of applause to Richard Hart for going complete scam tard and just, just he's, he's literally just making a shit coin to fucking rip people off for money. Pump it. Hey guys, he's totally not going to be buying this whatsoever and shilling it along with his BitMEX referral link. So let's give Richard Hart a round of applause, guys. He's completed the fucking step into complete scammer. Yeah, so I think, um, I believe we shared this story before, but um, if anyone hasn't heard, Richard Hart has been in the Bitcoin mumble a few times. And one of those times um, I was there and people, and he was absolutely failing at answering them in any comprehensible way. Uh, but my only question was, uh, you know, what what is his project management experience? And according to the bio that he has on that website, he's managed companies worth $60 million employees. Uh, so I asked him what his project management experience was. And his answer to me was well, fire you've met in your entire life. <laughs> yeah. That's so I, I am. And um, my first thought when he said that, that's rude. It was, well, that's kind of stupid. If you fired a lot of people, that means you hired a lot of the wrong people. <laughs> Yeah, just because you broke up on that quote, it said that you, he said um, I fired more people than uh, what was he? I fired more people than you've ever hired or worked with, like that, that she's ever met. He, she's he ever met. Oh people my people yeah, he's met in her life. Yeah, I heard him on a little discussion recently talking to some guys about his. Uh, I guess Janine's going to try and get a solid connection. Uh, he was talking about. Uh, you know, just how he had done some previous work with buying and selling and the way that that all got together. And I guess he did uh, hire a lot of employees during that time and fire a lot of people. But I don't know. It always like uh, he said he got into the, uh, the like, uh, I guess it wasn't him. I don't know. I don't want to get too much into what he was saying other than like, yeah, this Bitcoin hex thing, it does look like it's pretty crazy. I mean, the fluid dynamics thing as far as, you know, usable proof of work or something like that he was saying and now this and yeah there's been a lot of back and forth but like this whole bitcoin forking onto ethereum bitcoin hex it's i don't know it's to me it's just one of those things where it's like right now i guess uh i don't know he's always been about making the money i know he likes bitcoin i think he's like half and half to where it's like he, he likes making money and he likes bitcoin and i don't know so now we kind of get like uh a little bit of this and a little bit of that to where he's making as much money as he can in Bitcoin. It took him about six months, I think, uh, to go from telling people not to trade to literally responding to random tweets on Twitter showing his BitMEX referral link. So I think that's all I have to say about his intentions. He, he is a full of shit scammer. Yeah. Uh, am I still laggy or is it better now? Sounds a little bit better now. 
Okay, so uh, another funny quote from him was uh, he was doing an interview and he was talking about how he'd been a Bitcoin miner since 2011. And he said he remembered the days when there was a 50 block reward. 50 block reward, not 50 Bitcoin reward. <laughs> 50 blocks of reward. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. So he claims to be an expert in Bitcoin. He sounds more like a guy who showed up beginning of 2017. I didn't hear of him until summer. Never heard of the guy. Um, apparently he, he has a, a bit of a troubled past as well. Um, but yeah, not a project that's worth getting into. Every, everyone that I've like, I like, have you heard of Richard Hart? And they're like, no. And then I show him that I show them uh, his Twitter profile and they just start laughing. <laughs> That's the first response for most people. <laughs> and he got on Max Kaiser with that character of his. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I yeah. He was an early minor. Like I call bullshit. You, we're, we're talking about the guy who literally started breaking down crying as we started falling from the 20 K high. Like, no, so you, you, you were not in this space back when the block reward was 50 Bitcoin. If you are going to cry about a fucking bear market, I literally came into this space in the middle of a bear market and started mining during it. I was laughing during that entire fall from fucking 20 K. This is what, this is what Bitcoin does. Like if you've been here long enough, it goes up, it comes back down, it goes up. It comes back down. That's what it does. You, you don't start crying about what you know for a fact is going to happen months before it happens. Yeah, I don't know. I remember yeah, when it came in the mumble whenever Bitcoin fell. I think it was like when we were close to 10 or we had just fallen below 10. And he was like, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. And, uh, and then like the next day, back in. And then he was out again. And uh, yeah, I think it's like the amount of money he's either making or losing is driving his emotions on these things. And I guess, you know, I don't know, you know, it's just one of those people where you're right. Janine's like, he really kind of popped up at the beginning of 2017, but you know, had these stories from the early days and stuff and he's a character and, you know, picked up a bunch of followers and now it seems like, you know, yeah, he's sort of, you know, just trying to make as much money as you can with those followers in this space where I guess we're starting to get a little bit of guidelines and guidance as to how you could do that sort of stuff. You know, he started out, his very first interview was with Chris DeRose. Uh, Chris DeRose uh, dig him up. And and after that, uh, he, he went on shows and his popularity went upwards. Uh, it, it was a Bitcoin nonsense or the... It was a Bitcoin uncensored interview. Right after the Bitcoin uncensored team uh, broke up, and Chris was in Thailand at the time, uh, and, and and after that, Chris realized uh, his he he digged into Richard Hare's past, and he started to throw Richard Hare hat very very strongly, and I I don't really know what what happened i it's it's quite a news that richard Hare is doing uh, ICOs and things like that uh, for me I, i'm just i'm just looking at what's what's going on mm -hmm. yeah 
I mean, it's yeah, like it's he he is just another face that saw the market flying up and decided he's going to come in here and put his character together and, and try to scam people out of money. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Like, I know that he did come on the Rose, and I remember Chris saying like he was like recommended that he speak to him, and uh, and then like I guess there was something shortly after that. I can't remember. It was like you know it was 2017. It was like a, a lot of the segment fight was going on, and I think maybe there was just like a back and forth there to where I'm trying to remember what exactly it was the reason why Chris posted all that stuff. But yeah, it kind of got ugly quick. And his, yeah. his interview was his interview with Chris DeRose. The very first one was actually great. I, I watched it like two times or something. I, I don't know. He, he was saying such a interesting things and no one else was saying. So I don't know. I'm, I'm very disappointed, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Because like you said, like we were saying, he's a character and it's not like he's, you know, like a hateable character. He's like one of those people that even though he says something a little whatever off putting, you know, it's just like, yeah, it kind of falls into this frame of like, you know, he's going to say something like that and still kind of make you smirk about it or something. But yeah, I guess. We I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not disappointed by him at all because pretty much from the moment that I even saw him, I knew that something is wrong because uh, he was he was like a panelist on WCN and he was saying that you know things like the US should nuke North Korea and people were like who the hell is this guy and why is he saying this crap on WCN it's like I don't know and they kept inviting him on as a panelist and we kept saying don't do that he's not a good character and they didn't listen and now well here we go always listen to Janine's tingly senses for sure Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, in the interest of time, I'm gonna be a fascist, and we're gonna pass this off to Rick. Yeah, man. Let's uh let's start talking about some of these guidelines and what's going on with governments, and let's talk about Russia. So uh, Russia right now is like uh, starting to move towards uh, getting some definitions down as far as what they want in their legislation, and right now it looks like they're moving cryptocurrency to uh, digital rights. But this is just an update from like previous stories. Like uh, we could go back, let's see, uh, to the April story. It's, um, yeah, the guidance on ICOs, that one. Yeah, back in April, the Russia's Ministry of Telecom, Telecom and Mass Communications published some guidelines on ICOs for public discussion. And, uh, you know, in that there was just like some uh, basic guidelines as far as ICO organizers would be accredited for a period of five years. And uh, ICOs must be registered in the Russian Federation. Registered capital must be at least 1.7 million USD, 100 million rupees. Must be licensed to develop, produce, and distribute cryptographic commodities. Must have Russian bank account for transmitting raised, raised money for ICOs. And issuing of digital tokens must be carried out in rubles only, cashless settlement. So um, this was put out, yeah, back in uh, April for discussion. And, uh, you know, in these documents and in this uh, legislation comes a lot of the words where we use terminology like cryptocurrencies and digital tokens and digital money and 
I'm not sure about the cyber money and the cyber currency, we've, virtual currency. We've heard all these different names. So like uh, they were worried about misinterpretation. So uh, in May, the next article, uh, they uh, started, you know, the state, the Russia State Duma Committee uh, on State Construction supported the whole guidelines that was issued in April. And uh, they were, you know, trying to create this digital economy and create the right terminology to put into the country's civil code. And, uh, you know, just like during that exact same time, like period, there's uh, this bank, uh, Spearbank, Spurbank, uh, CIB, a state-owned subsidiary of uh, Spearbank, uh, carried out the first commercial bonds transaction using uh, Hyperledger. And so there was like some tests. Uh-oh. You cut out there, Rick? Yes, it's Rick. You know, in Hungarian, Duma means it's a talk that makes no Dingo. sense. Going on. All right, we, we got you back, Rick. Okay. Hear you loud and clear. Am I here? Okay. I don't know what happened there. Let me make sure. My, yeah, all right. I don't know what happened there. So... Let's just, uh, yeah, so this, uh, let's see, what did you hear? Um, so, yeah, like uh, Russia's State Duma Committee on State Construction is trying to uh, support these guidelines and uh, try and create this digital economy and, you know, put some legislation into the country's civil code. And at the same time, like uh, this bank called Spurbank CIB, a subsidiary of the state-owned bank Spurbank, has carried out the first commercial bond transaction using Hyperledger Fabric 1.1. So there's a lot of testing and discussion going on over there. And uh, this latest update just uh, talks about how they're, you know, changing, they're abandoning all the terminology of cryptocurrency, digital currency, digital money, and they're replacing it with digital rights. And uh, they're also going for the whole uh, ICO thing of digital tokens. They want to label that digital law and uh, create this whole digital economy and, uh, you know, I guess just get it right. Um, you know, they said that uh, back in that other article, they said, despite the upcoming legislative implementations, cryptocurrency won't yet become legal means of payment. This is to come at a later point and in controlled quantities. The country's central bank ministry of economic development and its ministry of finance are vested with the responsibility to establish the condition to, under which this will happen. So they were trying to, you know, test, experiment, come up with the terminology and put this all out in a very planned manner to where it's not really like the market deciding they're figuring it out and they're going to figure out which way it all goes together. And um, let's see. So, yeah, like since this is all talking about digital rights and digital law, like they're going to have to rewrite some of the tax code in the country as far as like how to describe these digital rights will be taken out for tax purposes and uh, the digital assets will not be considered as property, but as a new type of property digital right. And uh, yeah, these are by no means, you know, accepted regulatory changes. This is still just sort of an up discussion that's been going on since a couple months ago in uh, Russia with this whole uh, implementing a new digital economy and the language that's going to be used. So yeah, digital rights and digital law instead of cryptocurrency and uh, and everything. Oh yeah, just like yeah, I don't know why I didn't have that in there. So uh, yeah, this is 
this legislation is sort of drawn up and is being ready and uh, it's drafted and it could be out adopted by July 29th. So that's what's going on with that update as far as uh, the labeling of crypto. Like, what do y'all think about that digital rights instead of cryptocurrency? Y'all thinking anything? Uh, I don't know. It just makes me think like there's a lot more imp implications if you call it a digital right. I think it's just them trying to define a new category of assets so that they can start regulations from scratch and kind of not be confined by pre-existing regulations and legal definitions and tax codes and things like this. You know, by kind of creating a new category out of thin air, they can effectively do whatever they want in terms of regulations instead of having to fit things within pre-existing definitions and laws. See, I wonder if that doesn't involve like a uh, domain namespace uh, and in that digital rights uh, kind of renegotiation, because like uh, that that whole area could kind of be revamped in terms of looking at things as digital assets. So I, I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, to me, it also felt like a kind of a broad spectrum thing where it could you know, start to define a lot of different things that we've currently been working with and it's just been sort of done a different way. But yeah, also the state guidelines, you know, it's, uh, I imagine like, you know, just a system outside the system. I don't know, that could be helpful. Like we were saying, you know, they were developing with uh, Hyperledger Fabric 1.1 and I know that those, uh, that's a lot of development from companies like IBM and Sun Systems and a lot of people that, you know, I don't know, it shows maybe a more, I don't know, Russia is a big part of the economy right now. So I don't know, just to me, it shows a little bit more trust in these nations to, uh, you know, you're developing these systems that you're going to create this new digital economy on. So um, I don't know, maybe it'll be a more open market or something, but certainly a different, different system. But if there's not any more comments on that, we can continue with Russia here. There's like another story about what's going on over there. And uh, that's uh, Russia's Bitcoin mining farm position in Norway, which uh, right now, you know, this uh, mining farm was talked about a while back whenever uh, Russia was talking about, uh, you know, allowing Bitcoin mining and certain other crypto mining in different countries and different locations. And uh, so this mining farm, it costs around 125 million and is located in Avedal. I'm sorry, Norwegians. I'm uh, trying to pronounce these names. This whole section of the globe's kind of got like a different way of spelling things. So, uh, yeah, like um, it's an attractive place uh, because it's got cheap power and good communications. And, you know, it's expected to commence construction in August. And, um, you know, the only reason, I mean, like we kind of knew about this was all being developed, but the only reason this is becoming a story again is because uh, there's a Trident military exercise in October that's scheduled to happen. And uh, it kind of just sort of throws into question what exactly all the motives are behind this mining farm, considering there is like cheap power in uh, Russia too. But, um, you know, uh, it is this uh, big exercise and there's just like some speculation as far as, uh, you know, could this be included in that exercise? But I've dug a little bit into that NATO exercise and, you know, it's going to be under the command of this guy, Admiral James Fogo, Fogo. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like 40,000 participants. It's more than 30 countries. And um, I've seen a few of these exercises and played a couple of these war games and everything. 
And, uh, you know, Norway's the host nation of this thing. And, you know, a lot of times you put out maps and you start drawing out like this thing could be that and that could be this. And, uh, you know, this is all about uh, creating, you know, shoring up your defenses and making sure that you're prepared for if something does happen. And uh, there's just a lot of development going on in our region area when it comes to like, uh, you know, like the next article from New York Times talks about how like, uh, you know, climate change is sort of like freeing up some of this ocean to where people can start to now, uh, you know, drill in the Arctic and, you know, Russia's got capabilities of moving submarines with, uh, you know, large amounts of uh, nuclear warheads, these new submarines they've developed called the uh, Bori submarines. And, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a big, moving piece thing where i mean this one small 125 million dollar mining farm in a, a certain place in norway it just doesn't seem like it's really that related as much as this is just like uh testing all these systems i mean it could just be like a uh, a high value target on the map to maybe do some um sort of you know um experimental maneuvers on to see whether or not you can knock it out or something like that but it's all just really think that this is really too big to be like this thing's important of uh, of the NATO exercise. But, um, you know, because the United States, they said that they're really just going after, uh, you know, rogue nations like Iran and North Korea. They want to check and make sure that their defenses are all shored up on that end. And, you know, like I was just saying, with the whole digital economy tied up with Hyperledger and uh, it just seems like, yeah, you know, I don't know how much of a role this is going to play other than it'll be like an HVT on a map to where when they're running these exercises, I'm sure they'll probably run an airplane over there and pretend like they bombed it or something. But that's probably going to be the amount of it. I mean, the uh, Norwegian Special Services are on top of this and they're watching it. And, uh, you know, they've talked with the people that are running this farm and they said, as far as I know, the Russian owners are serious guys. They understand the Norwegian special services are closely interested in their activities and they're expecting checks and they're not afraid of anything. And, um, you know, like uh, we're saying this whole like, uh, you know, way that they're developing this uh, two tier system as far as like uh, how they're going to write the tax code on um, on this is like all just been breaking and still being developed while these miners they're they're ready to get out there and break their cut their teeth in the industry and start making profit you know as soon as possible so they got out of the countryside and into Nor Norway and you know started building a farm there I mean it makes sense to me so like the whole uh NATO speculation I just don't see how much there is an actual relation there it's just uh coinkening <laughs> what do you guys think I think it's pretty clear at this point that Russia is going full on into trying to apply and integrate these kinds of assets and systems into their overall economy, but they're very intent on kind of going the opposite way that America is. Like we've we've kind of for the most part just kept hands off things and let things evolve slowly before deciding how to deal with them legally and regulatorily speaking, whereas Russia seems very intent on kind of giving themselves a complete free hand to set up a regulatory scheme entirely from scratch, independent of regulations and laws covering kind of the existing financial system and way they run things right now. Yeah, I mean, it's not very efficient right now. So 
I mean, like I could see him trying to develop something better for sure. Um, but yeah, it seems like it's pretty integrated with uh, trying to move forward on a global get together. I don't know. Doesn't seem like there's that much fighting going on. Mm -hmm. I do think it's kind of silly though that Norwegian special services are looking at this mining farm as some potential security threat. I mean, I know Russia has been trying to pretty much incentivize uh, mining operations to open up shop in country, but I mean, it's Russia. <laughs> like it's very clear at this point that, you know, they'll just do whatever they want. Like their government is littered with people that are pretty much holdouts from the KGB during the Soviet Union era who pretty much just sliced up assets in the country and pretty much established themselves as a class of oligarchs. And personally speaking, uh, if I was a Russian citizen that wanted to start engaging in operations like mining, even with the kind of incentives Russia is setting up, I would not want to establish an operation within that country's borders. And I just, I think it's ridiculously silly to look at a company expanding in Norway as a potential security threat or intelligence operation or however Norway is actually kind of looking at this behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, if it's cheap electricity and good communication that they're going there for, which is like one of the stated reasons, I mean, like, yeah, maybe just keep an eye on how many miners are coming into the country and how much your power is going to move up and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I guess they got to you know, NATO exercise and all that sort of geopolitics, they got to at least play that card and act like they're, you know, keeping up. I mean, I'm sure they probably are legitimately a little interested in what's going on. Mm -hmm. So that's what's going on in Russia, guys. What's going on with the uh, SEC here in the U.S.? Want to take it away, Jeannie? Yeah, so... So the biggest news in the last two weeks that everyone cannot stop talking about is that uh, a division head from the SEC, William Hinman, and also the chairman, Jay Clayton, made statements about uh, how they would classify Bitcoin and Ether in terms of securities laws. And uh, William Hinman in particular gave a speech titled uh, Digital Asset Transactions When Howie met Gary at the Yahoo Finance conference focused on cryptocurrencies in, I believe it was San Francisco. And he said that from their perspective, Bitcoin and Ether are not going to be considered securities. And he was quoted as saying, when I look at Bitcoin today, I, I do not see a central third party whose efforts are a key determining factor in the enterprise. The network on which Bitcoin functions is operational and appears to have been decentralized for some time, perhaps from inception. That's not really the case. If you like, there was at one point there was only one miner, and it was Satoshi, uh, or someone Satoshi knew. But there was not. the The whole point is that the system gets more decentralized over time. Uh, but applying the disclosure regime of the federal securities laws to the offer and resale Bitcoin would seem to add little value. Uh, putting aside the fundraising that accompanied the creation of Ether, <laughs> putting aside <laughs> that part, yeah. Uh, based on my present state of ether the ethereum network and its decentralized structure current offers and sales of securities transactions uh and then the sec chairman jay clayton also made a statement at a different public forum that was about investing in america uh and he's talking about the application of oh god there's an ambulance coming 
So he, uh, Jay Clayton specifically talked about ICOs and crypto tokens or whatever they're called now. And he said, people have used blockchain technology for fundraising. We've had pretty clear rules on how to conduct fundraising when you're offering securities. Much of what I've seen in the ICO or token ICO space is a security offering. I don't know how much more clear I can be about it. So uh, it's going to, be, I mean, from my perspective, it's going to be interesting how you know, they say that Ether is not a security uh, and they're not going to apply any kind of regulatory framework to it, but then they're going to apply some kind of regulatory flame framework to the ICOs, which are on Ethereum. That's going to be fun to see. <laughs> uh, the uh, blockchain chief legal officer, uh, Marco Santori, he wrote a long Twitter thread uh, of his reaction to this news and points that he wanted to emphasize, such as how the SEC measures decentralization, uh, because apparently uh, they're kind of implying that if a network or a cryptocurrency is decentralized enough, then it is resistant to them or applying any kind of regulatory oversight on it, which is interesting. For them to say um but uh, according to marco the sec doesn't really define decentralization in a technical way they de define it uh in a managerial sense as in how many parties are involved in in things like price movement especially upward price movement because that would get into the realm of you know this promise of return um on value uh from an investment so that's what they're looking at. They're not really looking at like the number of nodes or can this network be attacked. They're more looking at it from a managerial perspective, um, which obviously in the case of Ethereum is uh, a, a bit uh, of a gray area because they have a lot more of that than Bitcoin does, obviously. Uh, Bitcoin does not have a, a phone anymore. Um, and there was not any kind of pre-sale of Bitcoin ever. <laughs> so uh, Ether is kind of still in a gray area uh, from my perspective. Um, but Mark also went on to say that this determination that most ICOs would have securities was a bad thing for exchanges. He said the U.S. regulatory landscape for tokens shifted out from underneath most of the exchanges overnight. So bad day for, I guess, Coinbase. And, you know, they they said, what was it? A few at any, they don't trade any ICOs. Um, that <laughs> That, that might uh, change for a lot of the exchanges uh, very soon. And one person who reacted quite strongly to the SEC was none other than John McAfee, or as I'm calling him on this show today, Smack McAfee. Um, I don't know how, how to pronounce that phonetically. Uh, but McAfee. McAfee declared that I will not now, nor will I ever, accept this as a reality. I'm submitting now to this law, but I will fight it with every letter that this absurd overreach by the SEC stand. It will not stand. If anyone doubts this, then show up at my place and voice your doubts. I will remove your doubt. <laughs> um, yesterday, however, he kind of backed 
backtracked a little bit and tweet replied uh, to someone that due to SCC threats, I, I am no longer working with ICOs, nor am I recommending them. And those doing ICOs can all look forward to a rest. It is unjust, but it is reality. I am writing an article on an equivalent alternative to ICC cannot touch. Please have patience. Uh, as Dan Darkfield pointed out, this will probably mark the end of his coin of the week segment uh, because McAfee, Smack, McAfee uh, has been transported via, according to him, armored motorcade to some kind of underground facility <laughs> where he will be, uh, I guess, working on building his so-called hedonism resort in Belize for swingers and sexual deviates. And I'm sure he'll cater to all of them. But the real question is, will he manage to shock allergies? Will there be hammocks? <laughs> there will definitely be hammocks there. I I saw a pool and torches in the picture. I have no idea about hammocks. I assume there will be. In some form <laughs> or another. Yeah, this is just like uh yeah, I mean McAfee's reaction is uh pretty, I don't know, on point with his character, I guess. And uh just sort of going along with that you know, how he moves about in the world. But the whole uh, Ethereum is uh, not a security thing was definitely kind of like a, uh, kind of threw me back for a minute just because like we know, you know, like they're saying ICOs are, and it's like Ethereum did do an ICO. I mean, like before ICO was really coined, I mean, like they had the pre-sale back in 2015. And um, yeah, I mean, like uh, that's, that's something where uh, if you do a little bit of just digging back a little bit, then you can see that that happened and it's basically the same process and it is centrally, you know, controlled the way that, you know, like now they're talking about the raid and sharding fork together and, you know, the way that they're going to do all that. And it's like uh, they're trying to play this card of like, you know, well, what it is now is not what it was. And, you know, maybe they will be like a fine. I don't even, I haven't heard them even discuss a fine or anything, but I mean, it seems like if you had a, you know, a sale of a security without registering with the SEC, you're going to get fined at some point. But, um, you know, I don't know, to me, it just sort of like confirmed that they had gotten in enough lobbying efforts and funding in, in place to where whenever this decision was talked about, it would be in their favor. It just sort of just seems like. It will bite them in the ass so hard. Like, what, what, what's the bar of decentralization? I mean, hey, if, if I do an ICO and burn the Ethereum, um, is that decentralized enough? It's a smart contract. It, it'll do what it does on the chain. And hey, I, I'm totally not going to accumulate it and dump it at the top. Like, I, th there's no way that I can trade it on, on decentralized crypto only futures exchanges that function on ethereum i mean it, it, as long as i'm not directly getting money sent to the contract uh i i can still profit off that and it'd be totally decentralized right w wait a minute what what if what if there's a, a a couple of different foundations established and there's no single one in, in control of it are, are you going to be able to parse every single encrypted chat application on the planet to to prove there's no collusion going on beyond the scenes? Like what? Like every ICO in the world is going to fly out of the woodworks, inventing schemes to demonstrate their sufficient degree of decentralization. 
So, <laughs> like, I don't think the SEC has any idea what the hell can of worms it just opened, declaring you know, it's security. You know, you're looking at you're looking at the lock of rules like it would be a bug, but it's actually the feature. This is the lack of clarity of the rules. This is they did it this way because this way they they can have human input into what they are doing into with what project what they don't like. That's that's the reason I think. Yeah, but, but see, that's that's the thing is like you know, what's going to happen when they're just applying these things completely inconsistently? Like, how is that going to affect public, you know, they can explain it. perception? They can explain it. They can explain that it was consistent with what they wrote down. But it's like, hey, if, if they set a bar, I mean, they haven't explicitly defined what is sufficient decentralization, but they've said that Ethereum is that it meets that bar. So now, hey. Anything comparatively that can make that argument against uh, where is decentralized as Ethereum, like how can you argue against that? But like they don't have it, to be hundred percent, hundred percent consistent with themselves. They just have to be kind of consistent. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, but then eventually, like if they are just inconsistent enough, like that will lead to lawsuits. Like that, that will lead to people filing complaints. Like so they, what's they are not the SEC. And you can still sue and the government. They are above the laws. They are the regulatory agency of the biggest market in the world. But they're not. They have a, a fucking ability to bend the law that other people do not. But ultimately, they're still accountable to the government. They, they can still be taken to court. They're still a legal entity. And they've just opened a gigantic can of worms in giving a comparative basis to argue that any ICO is sufficiently decentralized, whether it meets the, the other qualities of being a security or not, to not be considered a security. This is where I kind of saw this coming a while back that CFTC and the SEC getting into it, discussing like, what is security again? I don't know, like, it just seems like we're gonna see some inter arguing between these agencies as far as like where this is going and for the time being it seems like this guy saying ethereum's not a security so that's the way people are taking that it's like that's the way the law is now but i mean you know yeah the sec does seem to be like a pretty powerful entity like i don't know how true smackafee is with his like you know they do assassinations so i mean like you know it's like a you know, somebody would say, like, all these government agencies are mobs. So, I mean, like, uh, you know, I don't know. For right well, now, it's like well, they're just sort of fighting each other. Well, I just, um, this this hasn't been made a law. Like, Bitcoin and Ether haven't been declared by law not securities. This was just statements that two members of the SEC made at uh, conferences or forums. So, they could technically change their mind, like the stone at all this is not like a you know pol official policy that they've released on their website it's just right now it's just transcripts of talks that they gave so they could change their mind um but there's a, a tweet i thought was pretty funny that's kind of related uh 
by Frigico. He said, uh, first they came for unregulated ICOs and I didn't speak out because I don't run an ICO. Then they came for the shit coins and I didn't speak out because I don't care about shit coins. And then they came for Bitcoin and nothing happened because Bitcoin is decentralized and has no single point of failure. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a nice one. Bum, bum, bum. Interesting twist. All right. Let's try to bang out some more stories. Just hit the hour mark. All right. So, uh, I don't know. I'm feeling kind of lazy today as far as piping and audio, but uh, Lloyd Blankfein from Goldman Sachs uh, made a few comments uh, at a public appearance uh, that he does not own Bitcoin. It's it's not for him, but hedging his bets, if it does work out, I could give you the historical path why that could have happened. So I don't know if you want to see... Uh, you know, a banker trying to hedge his bets <laughs> as far as what's going to happen to Bitcoin in the long term. Uh, links in the show notes, a uh, little cutout clip on Twitter. But moving along, I uh, <laughs> thought this was a pretty cheeky joke from uh, Brian Bishop, otherwise known as Consor. Signed a message from uh, the Bitcoin network alert key that Satoshi had and distributed to a few developers back in the day. Uh, he signed the digest of I am not CSW. Unlike me, he can't sign with the Bitcoin alert key. <laughs> and I, I think this is kind of funny because, you know, this this key is, is pretty decently distributed uh, amongst uh, a good number of people. But uh, Craig Wright did not sign a... Uh, a message with this key you to contradict <laughs> That's what I think is funny. Like, not only does he not have a copy of this key, which Satoshi would, even though others do, but he was apparently unable to get a copy of the key from any of the other individuals who do possess it. <laughs> and so for... Uh, for, for those who don't know what this is, uh, any new people in the space, when the Bitcoin network was first launched, there was a network alert function to um, pretty much alert users to any kind of uh, bug or consensus failure or problem with the network um, that Satoshi and a few other developers had. But this was actually retired last year. Or no, I'm sorry, uh, two years ago in 2016 just because at, at this point there's really no central point that should be in, in possession of a key like that directly tied to the client. Like we're all in communication enough through other means to alert each other to any kind of serious problems that pop up. But um, they uh, pretty much finally actually dumped out the uh, actual key itself publicly lately to just finally be done with this. And the newer versions of core actually mm -hmm. I, I i think so and um the new version of core actually sends out kind of a final alert using this key so that any older nodes pretty much get a final alert message and then no longer recognize any alerts after that so that there's kind of no problems by people crying wolf with this but i i think it's kind of funny and uh 
Yeah, I, I got to give uh, you know developers credit for not releasing it sooner because uh, a lot of shit coins out there have forked off uh, older versions of Bitcoin and not removed the alert function. Uh, so <laughs> they've pretty much been waiting to dump the key out this entire time so that uh, shit coins aren't terrorized because they just copy and pasted things without understanding what they were doing. <laughs> Yeah, watch out. Oh, coin, you just got alert. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if uh, if anyone's wondering, you know, where's Craig to, like, challenge this guy? Well, he's a bit busy um, getting stuck in an airport with, uh, <laughs> with uh, some crypto. Uh, that is the most hilarious picture. I Like, so the most hilarious picture... Craig right to me is the one where he's like, you know, pretending to draw complex equations um, on a on a clear glass with marker, but this one might just top it. Like, can't imagine seeing him with a backwards cap and a drunk face. And yeah. Super drunk, man. This guy's about to get on a plane to wherever. I don't, I don't know. He wants to get on there and fall asleep. I couldn't imagine that guy sitting next to me. Oh my God. And you know, I gotta say I'm I'm disappointed in tone here. Like, I I am really disappointed. Like, you you don't be civil with these people. You, you walk right up to them and you go, "Hey, you scammy piece of shit! How you doing?" <laughs> this guy is such a fighter, and he's so drunk he probably would have knocked your head off. He's just but, like, uh, I don't know. I could I could, I'm not gonna hold tone too much against. He's, at least he's got a drink in his hand. They're both obviously kind of drunk. So I don't know, but yeah, it is one of those, like, if I saw him, I don't know what I'd do. But Shinobi, once you get over like 150,000 followers, you just have to start being nice to everyone because, you know, that's the position you're in now. No. <laughs> <laughs> bullshit is bullshit. You call out bullshit. End of story, in my opinion. You never know. They they might they might, you know, tone might uh teach Craig Wright a few things about how Bitcoin works now after all the advice he's uh been given. Right. Got to work for something. They were debating. Eh. Yeah, I I bet it was a rousing debate with drunk face fakes Toshi. <laughs> what do you be cash people thinking? I mean Bitcoin Cash. Sorry. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna relay a story. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna mention names to uh, not dox anybody, but uh, <laughs> a buddy of ours actually uh, went here <laughs> while Craig was there, and Craig attempted to uh, offer the waiter Bitcoin, air quote, <laughs> for the bill, and offered to pay him twice uh, what the value of the bill was, and uh, our our buddy uh, pretty much went, hey, hey. Are you, are you talking about the real Bitcoin? The, the, this guy's trying to scam you. And she just started calling him out in front of the waiter until Craig eventually, uh, I think he offered in the end 10 times the bill in Bitcoin cash if they would take it. And uh, I, I don't think the waiter ended up taking it. But uh, there, there was the, the one single person at this event who actually called Craig on his bullshit. Well... I have a quick funny story that's kind of similar to that. Um, I managed to pay for uh, a 
dinner for a bunch of people in uh, Switzerland once with Swiss francs that were 15 years out of date. <laughs> and the waiter took it because he, he was collecting old Swiss franc bills. So I, pay, I paid for dinner with outdated money and Craig Ray couldn't manage <laughs> to pay a bill. <laughs> <laughs> to pay a bill 10 times the amount of value in Bitcoin cash. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's greater than Bitcoin cash right now. Money money is funny. But what, yeah. one, one of my favorite things, uh, <laughs> real quick, is you, which you, you got to go to a bank and get a bunch of $2 bills and then just go walk around and try to find really young people working the cashier at places. And it's the funniest thing in the world. Like they, they don't, they don't know that a two dollar bill exists. They like spaz out and think you're trying to give them joke money, and you just get the entire store full of people looking at them. Like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, yes, that's real money. <laughs> it's just, it's always an entertaining thing to do. Oh. oh, but I, I did not, I did not scam the waiter. The waiter was fully aware that. The years out of date, <laughs> as Craig, you know, was clearly not being that <laughs> transparent. Yeah, sorry though, no part. You have something to say? <laughs> oh yes, I just wanted to say that Craig White is such a su such a person. I, he he's so full of shit. I I just cannot get angry at him. Never. It's. It's just such a, a what what he's doing is so entertain entertaining, you know. And and what ironic is he's he's uh, just a net gain for Bitcoin because he, he he's basically his presence uh, the his presence uh, makes the BCH side looks completely ridiculous in fact uh, the new rumors are of course that bc is splitting because one of the, the bitmain side and the other is the n-chain side at greg white side and you know it's it's just I, I i kind of like him i have to admit it <laughs> one of those entertaining characters like richard hart and uh and mac, mac, mac what's his name mcafee Today, like, I mean, they're just, yeah, they're just like, you know, they're characters and yeah, uh, that recent uh, video from Thailand where he's like, if you want, you don't want my technology, that's fine. I'm out of here. It's like, I don't know. He is like such this ridiculous statement guy where you're just like, man, this is, you couldn't write a, a comedy sketch. It's good. Wasn't, planet, wasn't, that in, wasn't that in Rwanda? I think he said that at an African conference. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, but yeah, it is. I mean, like I, I, yeah, I just, I'm just super curious, like, why he chose the the handle Professor Faustus because it seems like it, it's something that someone would do like that. It's just such an obvious you know, he's clearly referencing a character that has so many similarities with what he's doing. It just seems like, you know, a desperate man who's like getting attention and he's like trying to signal like, hey, I'm a really broken person. <laughs> Don't come near me. Unless he like 
actually admires the character and thinks that this this is all going to end well. Like it's not going to end well. Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking about that video again. I can't I remember. I think this was the same conference where they were talking about it, and um, he was interrupted by someone uh, talking about the mechanics and how he was a scammer and stuff. And he just immediately stood. He's like, "You want to fight? You want to fight?" It's like, golly, this guy. Yeah, it's entertainment. It's entertainment, but it is like, yeah, it's entertainment now. But I mean, like a couple of years ago, or like, yeah, it just seemed like a lot of people were trying to take this seriously. So it's good to see it as like such a joke now. Mm-hmm. Uh, no para acnics. Any last thoughts before we move along? Go on. All right. Uh, this, I don't know, it's... Oh, we lost you. Let's talk about Craig G- Ryan then. Jihad <laughs> <Jihan> has <laughs> taken his internet. Yeah, he started talking about Craig and Jihad. Chrome exploded. I hate Chrome. Okay. All right, moving along. Um, Not really that big of a news story, but uh, Jihan apparently did uh, an interview in China regarding uh, Bitcoin Cash and the New York Agreement. I just thought, uh, you know, it's something to kind of point out for people to go over and just really two things I kind of wanted to point out here. Um, He was explicitly asked about chain reorganizations and a 51% attack um, in regard to Cobra constantly running around with his... (laughs) Come on, (laughs) But with his constant showing of a proof of work change. Oh, come on. Get the joke out. Not going to share my joke. (laughs) It does. It really does. When when that trailer came on the screen, I was or the interview. um, I I instantly thought if they if they made a mag bit me, and that would be the that would be the picture I would use. Broke back bit me. Oh my goodness. Where where is that? Go back up just a little bit, (laughs) Snuffy. I guess. So broke back on the ocean. Bitcoin cowboys. <laughs> what the heck is this? Uh, it's uh, it's it's a movie about gay cowboys. <laughs> All right, though. Um, but yeah, Jihan um, G- was explicitly asked about fifty-one percent attacks and um, chain reorganizations, and he kind of directly cited the white paper statement that. Even a uh, a fifty one percent attack only allows transactions to be undone and doesn't kind of open the network up to completely arbitrary changes. And the uh, questioner pretty much went on to discuss the Bitcoin Gold attack um, and pointed out that the attack was pulled off by somebody with control of an address that had a few hundred thousand uh, Bitcoin in it or Bitcoin Gold in this uh, point. And asked him, was this you? And when Jihan denied it, well, it was kind of like, who else has like that much Bitcoin <laughs> to be doing something like this? And 
explicitly denied owning um, hash rate in excess of 51% of the network uh, directly and pointed out that a lot of the hash rate pointed at the pools that he operates is you know, operated by people independent of Bitmain and fully capable of pointing at another pool if uh, Bitmain were to do something unethical. And I know Jihan is definitely not a person anybody watching is, is going to take anything he says at face value. But I mean, you know, I, I've always found it kind of ridiculous that people make claims about him owning so much hash rate. Because, I mean, when you really look at the dynamics of his business, firstly, keeping revenue in Bitcoin is it's a risky proposition. And when you start to talk about hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, that is an insane exposure to huge market volatility. And it's not really a rational thing for a business at this scale to really engage in. Whereas, you know, selling the uh, the equipment to consumers, he's able to recoup a lot of his investments and, you know, upfront costs in fiat, which is, you know, I mean, obviously I would say not stable in the long term, but in terms of the the week to week operations of his business, uh, nowhere near as volatile as the price swings of Bitcoin. And then to really take it another step further, even if he was capable of manufacturing that amount of hash rate that he's not selling to consumers, that does not guarantee that he has access to either electricity at a price to operate them profitably, or even potentially access to enough electricity to operate that hash rate, period. Like being able to produce these machines does not mean that you can economically or in any way access the electricity required to operate them. So it would be foolish in that regard to also be hanging on to hash rate that you're incapable of operating because you've effectively sunk money into producing that and have no way of recouping that cost through directly operating the miners, which would effectively leave the only, the only way of making that money back is to sell them to people who do. And you know, while I, I do believe that Bitmain does own and operate a very sizable amount of hash rate, I think it's 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 just baseless conspiracy-minded thinking that leads to these accusations of Bitmain, you know, directly owning and operating a majority of the hash rate themselves. I mean, when you really break down all of the variables of this business and all of the variables involved in actually operating a large amount of miners yourself, it really doesn't make any kind of rational business sense to be doing so, let alone the indirect incentives to not want to directly operate uh, that much hash rate yourself, considering that if direct evidence were ever made public of that being the case, I think a lot of people right now who would not support a proof of work change would very quickly start rethinking that stance if it could be concretely demonstrated that Bitmain was operating and in control of a majority of the hash rate themselves. And so, you know, it's, I don't know, if people want to kind of dig into the whole interview, you know, it's the links in the show notes as usual, but <clears throat> I mostly just kind of wanted to break down like that response to the direct question about, you know, 51% attacks and control over network hash rate. All right. All right, let's keep rolling, man. 
We were good on time today. All right, guys. Let us begin the Constitutional Congress. Oh, you yeah, what happened? What happened? You, you couldn't Our even session crashed. 24 hours. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> oh, my God. So, um, yeah. Stop I think, treating. <laughs> yeah, they, they were able to keep the network running for 24 hours before it ground to a halt. Um, I do believe that this was the 16th. Um, anybody uh, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of long stretch of time of stuff to cover. But um, so the chain ground to a halt at around 10 in the morning uh, UTC time. And um, all the block producers were in agreement to stop their nodes and back up any information to help debug it. But shortly after this, um, the chain was progressing again. <laughs> and despite uh, no agreement between the 21 producers in sole control of minting blocks for the network <laughs> deciding to go forward. And apparently, um, to really boil this down, uh, th this was a, uh, a consensus failure due to a race condition. Um, and I do believe it was a single node that was causing this problem. <laughs> and so this is... I do believe we covered it maybe a month or two back in the um, the test nut. There was actually a complete failure in consensus. And again, one node brought <laughs> the entire network grinding to a halt. And this is, uh, this is pretty much a, a failure in the core consensus process. So like they, they, they could not keep the network going for a day <laughs> without a fundamental failure in their consensus mechanism. <laughs> and I mean, it's just like th this whole project is insane. Like the, the distributed proof of stake mechanism is literally something that has existed for more than a decade. It is a controlled permission system that they could not even get to operate correctly. And I mean, not to mention like the, you know, the, <laughs> the joke about the constitutional Congress, um, Wow, I just realized I typoed the shit out of that title. Congressional Congress, everybody. All right, we're, we're going with that now. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, like they, they literally think that hashing the, uh, the constitution of EOS into each transaction constitutes any kind of enforceable binding agreement. And to my understanding, there were actually um, seven accounts frozen, I believe. And I think that part of the reason for these accounts being frozen was that there were actually transactions that did not commit to the hash of the constitution that were actually included in the network. So like, not, not only did they completely fail at, at, at actually creating a functioning core consensus mechanism, but the hash committing to the constitution in every transaction was supposed to be a consensus rule. A transaction not committing to that should be invalid to the network. And somehow, transactions that did not do this were actually committed to by the network. <laughs> like this. Uh, I don't know, man. This is confusing. 
I mean, like Nick Sabo puts it perfectly. In EOS, a few complete strangers can freeze what users thought was their money. Under the EOS protocol, you must trust a, quote, constitutional organization comprised of people you will likely never get to know. <laughs> the EOS constitution is socially unscalable and a security hole. <laughs> wow, yeah. So, I don't know. It's pretty ridiculous, but I mean, like, you know, with all these projects, it's not too surprising to see one kind of uh, blow up the minute it goes mainnet and uh, start seeing what happens, especially considering all these sort of uh, weird consensus mechanics, like uh, consensus by conference call and um, constitutions and the way that it's uh, operating. It looks like it definitely needs some work to be done. I think that's that's what the title of the show needs to be, EOS Congressional Conference Call. <laughs> <laughs> we are having a conference call, everyone. This is the congressional session. Well, we'll, we'll figure out, but it's, it's, it's definitely not going to be a tautology after we get off the air. <laughs> oh, my God. But it's just like... The mind-boggling stupidity in attempting to construct, like, these new consensus mechanisms. I mean, it's, like, just recycling things that are decades old that do not actually function in a decentralized or censorship-resistant matter. Like, completely just nonsensical, broken things that people are hobbling together and trying to pretend work. I mean, it's... Like, it is really absurd, like, how things are working in this space. I mean, like, you have proof of work, which is the only mechanism that is actually proven to function at scale in any kind of meaningful decentralized way. And then you have permissioned federated systems. And I mean, like, I have not seen absolutely anything in this space to show that anything in between that can function in anything resembling a decentralized or censorship resistant way. And yet people continue to raise literally billions of dollars to literally just make the equivalent of a, a fucking rock pop soda bomb. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fucking absurd at this point. Yeah. That's why, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I imagine it's going to be, it was a, Problem day one, I imagine we're going to keep talking about it and having its problems in a couple of months from now. Yeah, I was trying, I still, I, I it escapes my mind what EOS was actually trying to do, but it just, uh, it's, I, I just remember that EOS is the name of a, a Greek titaness um, who, I guess the stories about her is that she, she rose each morning this is from the wikipedia page she rose every morning at dawn um and her home was on the edge of the ocean so i guess you could make a joke about eos not not really rising wait they named it after a woman they respect the women yeah oh. yeah a woman a greek greek wings and all that i think it was supposed to be like a uh I don't know, a decentralized Ethereum or something. I mean, I have no idea if it actually stands for it or if this is what they named it after, but that's just the only thing I could find. 
I don't know. They're getting short on names nowadays. There's so many of these things. Yeah, it's like that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't really have anything else to say at this point except Jesus Christ, what a marvelously retarded shitcoin. Like, <laughs> golf and claps all around. Keep coming. <laughs> Ah, well, I guess, uh, you know, Janine Acknix, no par. You guys got anything to say before we move on? Yeah, let's move on. No, I was just going to point out that one of the title ideas for today's show is Eosified. <laughs> which is what which is what happens to uh, animal, uh, you know, remains. They, they turn into fossils and stuff. When they're dead. Yes, we'll be a fossil. fossil. Yeah. All right, though. Let's slide along into a conspiracy theory. So, um, this is a screenshot of BitThumb's announcement that $30 million of crypto was stolen out of their hot wallets. And them promising that all stolen assets will be covered by BitThumb. And they're moving everything into cold storage for security reasons. Now, why did they delete this tweet? Well, <laughs> as Whale Panda points out, um, you oh. know, Korea, <laughs> Korea recently... Uh, decided they were going to start taxing cryptocurrency exchanges kind of in line with how they deal with banks and started hitting exchanges with back tax bills for all their prior activity to this. And what's that? BitThumb's back tax bill was about $28 million, um, which was announced you know, two weeks ago, and then they get hacked for $30 million. Hmm. Huh, that's so weird. Mm. Do you think that the government hacked them to get the taxes? <laughs> I think if there is any merit to this idea, they ripped this off and um, have some insane idea of, of taking these assets to pay the back tax bills because they don't have enough liquid assets to do so right now. But, you know, it's... If that is indeed the case, I have to wonder what in the fuck are they thinking? Like, what, 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 how are they going to move these assets? How are they going to tumble these and obscure them on the blockchain? How are they going to cash them out into fiat? And do they not think that the South Korean government, given how fucking comprehensive of a regulatory framework they're setting up, are not? going to be asking any questions about this <laughs> yeah i mean you know that they just had the digital equivalent of what we call a boating accident <laughs> they are relying on they are relying on my work <laughs> which brings me to my my donation address uh, let me check it <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, it's oh, like, man. I just like, I don't, I don't know, like, what, I don't know what they're doing. Like, is, is, 
is this a legitimate hack? Is this them trying to get the money to pay the taxes? Is this, as Whale Panda is kind of speculating here, them trying to find an excuse to not pay the taxes right now? I mean, <laughs> like... I love Charlie Lee's reply there. <laughs> They're calling taxation the theft. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is good. Yeah, I don't know. It, it is. It kind of reminds me that there is that other hack that happened in the area in Japan. There was that coin check hack, and I think uh, that was that's still under investigation. Give me taxation or give me theft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's right, like, you know, it's uh, it's it's like how. Does this continue happening with with no like like where is the the improvement the the rearchitecting the rethinking how their wallet systems work? I mean, it's like it, it's really it's ridiculous. I mean, like you you have to segregate things between your cold and hot storage, but that that's really a spectrum. Like it, it's not black and white like why could they not be doing something like a multi-sig system that's partially automated you you could have a system pretty much run through like handle signing with one key uh, like pending withdrawals and then just have a batched periodic manual approval process like you, you can go through things like in an automated fashion to check things make sure it, you like reconcile things against account balances institute like a 2fa factor solution for the end user like like do something besides just a completely automated withdrawal process i i mean like i i would much rather sit there and have to wait for the hour mark every hour for a withdrawal to be processed by an exchange then constantly deal with nonsense like this where it's millions of dollars just go poof because we, we can't leave our customer waiting for a single minute to process a withdrawal. I mean, it's, it, it's really, it just, it just seems like an excuse to try to continue drawing liquidity to, to pretty much just pull in money trading shit coins that people can just zip in, zip out. And like, you know, at the end of the day, what, when the hell are both the businesses and their customers going to pull their heads out of their ass and realize that, you know, security and convenience has to meet somewhere in the middle like this, or we are going to continue seeing massive hacks like this that end up screwing consumers and businesses both. I mean, uh. sorry i'm like looking up what was that report we did on that super cold storage i couldn't find it i know that um like zappos got that thing in the uh in the you know the vault in the mountain but um like there's also some companies that are up and coming where they are developing like those uh complicated multi-signature wallets where you gotta have multiple people in multiple locations to uh you know move the funds like yeah they should invest in that sort of thing and like actually show that they're trying to help develop those projects and like come up with this extra secure cold storage. I'm going to keep looking for that link though.
Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, I don't know. Can, <laughs> I guess there is the summary of the conspiracy theory and, uh, <laughs> we'll have to wait and see what pans out in terms of the details and, uh, what the level of the South Korean government skepticism over this is. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, I don't know, I'd be kind of skeptical too. Alrighty, Dan. I guess, uh, slippity slide into the next story. So, um, the totally decentralized, not security Ethereum has completely pivoted its roadmap on the suggestion of Vitalik. <laughs> totally decentralized. So, <laughs> um, Pretty much um, Casper, which is the proof-of-stake algorithm that uh, Vitalik is working on, and the sharding architecture, which is proposed as an air quote scaling solution to Ethereum's blockchain, uh, were originally going to be deployed as independent upgrades, and um, that's being completely reworked. And right now, the current proposal that everybody immediately jumped on board with, with no serious skepticism or analysis or discussion at all, instant consensus dictated by Lord Vitalik, is to deploy Casper and sharding at the same time. And to pretty much break off a shard and deploy Casper as a isolated consensus mechanism solely for that shard, while pretty much leaving the proof-of-work mechanism and main chain layer um, just functioning as normal. <laughs> and, like, I mean, this is just completely fucking absurd at this point. And I mean, you, you even, like, he, Vlad here, like, who I personally consider pretty much the only reasonable person in the entire Ethereum ecosystem, is pretty much admitting here that the, the previous roadmap that they've pivoted away from was pretty much them just scrambling and throwing things together because the bear or the bull market and the blockchain being slammed with load by all kinds of ICOs and nonsense. And so like, so that's, that's how Ethereum's consensus project works. Um, you get hit with load and user demand and then just throw random shit at it and just hope that fixes things. And then just completely pivot away from that at the snap of Vitalik's fingers after the market calms down and activity drops. I mean, and also, like, the entire point of Casper and proof of stake is to replace the proof of work consensus mechanism. So, what the hell is the point of activating proof of stake on an isolated shard? while leaving proof of work intact as the foundational consensus mechanism of the network. What I'm curious about there is that uh, Vladimir uh, said the phrase knock on was like making a joke about Gavin Wood because <laughs> after that it's about like releasing crappy code and uh, <laughs> being pressured to release crappy code before it's ready. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gavin is uh running that parody. Well, I, I've just uh just had to grab the door real quick. But um yeah, on this I don't know, it just kind of like uh perfectly illustrates that whole like yeah, decentralization, centralization thing. 
talked about earlier with the SEC, I guess this is like, yeah, this is not a good measure. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's, you know, it's – I really don't want to spend too much time on this topic. Just This is just absurd nonsense. But everybody watching who actually gives a shit about digging into this, uh, again, you should go look up Stop and Decrypt on Twitter and look into his kind of ongoing deep dive into Ethereum and the entire proof of stake and charging proposal, which, yeah, I've I've kind of been – you know, talking about it with him and following along as he's been writing this. It's it's just completely incoherent nonsense <laughs> that it, it, it does not maintain any kind of cohesive global validation or decentralization in any way. Like, you know, I think Matt Carello kind of described it perfectly. It's just breaking everything into federated side chains with no real main chain to speak of in terms of like global validation of the entire network. I mean, it's it really, it's Vitalik just throwing out nonsense and buzzwords that he constantly changes around and pivots. And what I see as a, an attempt to keep the PR machine going to stop Ethereum from just completely imploding on itself. Yeah, there's still some technical problems there that are definitely gonna show up here in the near future. I mean, like that are already showing up. Stop and decrypt really kind of labeled it perfectly. Mm -hmm. All right. Any any shit talk you guys want to get in? I think we got a decent chunk of stuff to kind of try and burn through. I'm I'm just reading the the very creative dissection of a vocabulary in the troll box. Uh-oh. All right. Well, let us burn through two quick notices. Um, first off, uh, happy news for anybody living in New York State. Uh, Square has received a bit license from New York State, so you are now able to buy and sell Bitcoin through the uh, Square Cash app. Um, get the hell away from coinbase and all the other shitty businesses that are you know previously your options uh it's quick it's painless and at least personally the second that you can deposit outside crypto i am cutting up my shift card and goodbye coinbase forever and dun 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 oops uh so a Swiss exchange went and pulled a, uh, a Poloniex. Um, Leica, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, has pretty much just dropped a KYC uh, verification requirement out of nowhere and is pretty much uh, seizing users' funds unless they submit to KYC policy. So yet another reminder and a lesson, not your keys, not your coins. If you use a service like this, get them off of it. Hey, I just interviewed this leak uh, thing uh, a while ago. It's it, it's not even it wasn't an exchange back then. It was I don't even know what they were trying to build because it was kind of incoherent. But they are using uh, Nicolas Doriers and Bitcoin, and they were trying they, they were trying to build some decentralized coin coin exchange based on a coin or something like that. 
I didn't really understand, so I we didn't have a follow up on that. It's it's interesting to see see them what's going on now. Yep, seems like they went the uh, exact opposite direction. All <laughs> <laughs> right, and uh, yet another uh, reminder to <laughs> not leave yourself overly exposed to businesses like this. I hope uh, everybody here is familiar with uh, Gab AI, a, uh, an attempt at doing an alternative to Twitter considering the rampant uh, political censorship going on in that platform, leaning to a specific political uh, direction. But uh, Gab AI had their Coinbase account shut down uh, with no notice, no reason given, and is pretty much being forced to withdraw all money with no real explanation uh, why this happened. And uh, where is the screenshot? So apparently um, Gab recently after the SEC announcement that Ethereum was not a security, made a tweet calling this a uh, obvious display of crony capitalism. Uh, obviously, you know, Andreessen Horowitz was pretty much busted red-handing, uh, red-handed, making uh, backdoor deals with the SEC, trying to argue that Ethereum is not a security behind closed doors. Um, it wouldn't shock me if Coinbase was involved with that, given the kind of circumstantial uh, synchronicity of events here. And uh, Kevin Pham kind of pointed this out as a possible explanation for why their uh, accounts were shut down. And um, one thing I do want to mention really quick is uh, Coin Center, one of the uh, big lobbying groups kind of pushing for uh, sensible legal regulation in the United States, uh, was actually one of the big proponents of arguing that Ethereum is not a security. And honestly, um, I'm thankful for all the things that Coin Center has done in the past uh, regarding Bitcoin. They've done a lot of things pushing for sensible regulation and a lot of things arguing against a lot of the seemingly selective um, enforcement and arrests of people trading peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoins without a money servicing business. Um, a lot of the arrests happening on local Bitcoins. But um, after your involvement in, in lobbying the SEC to declare Ethereum not a security, uh, frankly, fuck you. Um, you will never get another dime of my money in the future. That was, but I I, I, just, I really cannot understand why they were involved in that lobbying effort, and I can't excuse it. It is completely nonsensical. But you know, it's really got me wondering what kind of happened behind the scenes, as far as that SEC decision after seeing Gab pretty much just closed out of this because uh, they've been involved in a lot of legal action against big social media companies as far as their selective enforcement and censorship of certain political opinions on their platforms. And <clears throat> I can't imagine that this uh, is going to do anything but introduce a lot of roadblocks and complications in carrying out those legal efforts. Yeah, does anyone actually remember what episode? Because I th think I agree regarding entries and Horowitz and Coin Center kind of being connected and doing a lot of extensive lobbying with regards to Ethereum because Andreessen and Horowitz had um, a lot of it. He was starting up a new investment fund that was having Ether. I can't remember which episode that was, though. 
Yeah, I can't remember the name offhand. The, uh... Oh, I remember. It was uh, episode 92, AG Asks the OGs. So if you want to hear about the dirty details of that uh, connection, that's in that episode, episode 92. You can mm -hmm. remember numbers. That's That's nice. I can't. <laughs> I, I actually just looked. I, I actually just looked through my Twitter history because I remember someone complimented me specifically on that reporting, and so I found the tweet. With, with the, they come back. I, I, I am not a. I am not a master. Uh, master brain archivist for uh, Black Digest shows. <laughs> that would be me. Which beep? Which Bitcoin improvement proposes? Three, two, one. Yeah, yeah. Some people <laughs> are able to do that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I just want to remind you guys that Coinbase recently also um, blocked uh, WikiLeaks. So yeah, there is that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like you know, given a lot of ties to regulatory agencies and other shit in the government, like I, I really can't see this as anything except just another politically motivated. Uh, you know, exclusion from financial services. And I mean, given Gab's uh, recent comments on Twitter regarding the SEC decision, I mean, reading between the lines, I just have to assume that Coinbase was, you know, probably pushing for this SEC decision pretty much to protect their own investments in, in that ecosystem, as I've probably been ranting about a little too much <laughs> whenever uh, they've come up in the news. Yeah, I mean, I'm, like I said, you know, we've talked about this three before about coin centers lobbying, which, like, they're they're transparent about the fact that they do lobbying. Like, that's literally the purpose of, of the, um So as far as I'm concerned, like, I mean, I, I don't see, like, this, you know, lobbying and legislation as, like, a legitimate activity because... Like in the sense of like the kind of system that I want to actually see exist in the world, I don't think it's legitimate. But as long as whatever Coin Center is doing is just distracting lawmakers in some form that uh, either convinces them to leave alone uh, for a longer period of time, like that's fine. Like not not that if lawmakers actually started, you know, focusing putting more pressure on Bitcoin, that it would actually be you know fatal i don't think that's the case but uh it's just nice to you know not have to deal with that for you know the actual human beings that are involved in this like i don't want to see targeted um so as long as they're basically working as a distraction mechanism then i'm not i'm not too concerned about what they do just because i disagree with you know how they about certain coins that i don't yeah like uh there's kind of a multiple layer thing going on with this coin center like because i was kind of bringing it up um earlier in the mumble whenever we were when i was talking about this it's just like i know that there's definitely some um you know there's some uh you know like yeah some distraction and then like also just like some developments being funded like some some real bitcoin you know developments being funded through you know some I guess uh, profits being made on that whole side of the market. So it is kind of like a multiple, I don't know, a multiple layered thing where, um, you know, it's like 
could be hurtful, but it could be helpful uh, in some ways. And also, like, I just want to, you know, like reiterate, I don't think this was like any sort of real decision as much as just like a market, um, you know, a market uh, signal, just sort of like one guy from the SEC saying like, this is the way that they're thinking about it. I mean, I think it could be easily sort of like stamped out if like, uh, you know, Clayton, Jay Clayton came out and said something the opposite or something. I don't know. I mean, I just feel like there could it could go backwards still. Like it, um, it's not you know sort of set in stone yet. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, just like the whole way that Coinbase and uh, and these guys are um, lobbying these uh, real big uh, centralized systems. I really like you know. I think you know you look at Cash App and Robinhood and the way they're going individual states and sort of setting up the legislation and guidelines to work there. I think that's a lot better mode. So yeah, delete Coinbase, grab cash at. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, I'm happy if they continue like coin center doing things to stop like overly reaching regulations. But I mean, after this, like fuck them, like I'm not giving them a penny of my money after this, if that's what they're going to be doing with part of it. Like, but yeah, you know, it's all traditional, right? It's like you like you get that centralized pile of money and some people that know what to do and go have dinner parties with DC socialites. Like I, I don't know. To me, it's like, yeah, that's it's kind of the old way of thought. So like eventually it'll get phased out. Mm-hmm. All right. And I'm gonna try to rapid fire through these next uh four stories. Uh so Walmart was awarded a patent for an electrical grid uh, powered by Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And um, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is really fucking absurd. Like this patent was filed uh, last December. There are multiple companies that have been working on this for years. Like there's a Grid Plus, a project on uh, Ethereum. I know that uh, I'm not, I don't remember if it was Grid Plus itself or another system on Ethereum that actually presented at consensus. Uh, I want to say not this last one, the one before it. And, you know, a number of other projects that have been working independent of Ethereum. Like th- this is a, an idea that has been put out and actually has multiple funded entities working on this for years before this patent was filed. So, the, the fact that the, this patent was granted is just absolutely fucking absurd as there is a litany of prior art that, that is all over the place if anybody did, just did a simple Google search on this. And another thing, um, it's really uh, the, the useless patent because this, this kind of activity is not going to be scalable <laughs> on-chain and the entire patent yeah. is explicitly defining on-chain activity. So strictly interpreting the language used in this patent there is no way this is going to be applicable to any kind of system using a payment channel network like lightning network or other second layer solutions not directly interacting with the the blockchain so i mean it's it's useless technologically as far as how this kind of system would actually be implemented and it's absurd that it was even granted in the first place because there's multiple instances of prior art yeah, why Walmart? <laughs> like, I, 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 think think... I, figured it out. I think I figured it out. I think I figured out. Like, right, because you know, it's patent trolling and patent law is so stupid in this country. It all ha- hangs out in East Texas, and Walmart headquarters is right above that in Arkansas. I wouldn't be surprised if those guys hang out. 
I mean, they sell a lot of products that they could definitely do some patent lawsuits on to where they, and they don't do all sorts of weird funding things where they like take out, you know, uh, what is it? Um, life insurance policies out on their employees they think are going to pass. I mean, they do lots of shady stuff to make money on the side. And this, yeah, this is just like that old traditional route of like, hey, somebody's trying to do something in our wheelhouse or somewhere near our wheelhouse. Let's like, uh, let's file a patent. Let's get our old friends in East Texas and let's, you know, let's get some court fees. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only thing I can think of why Walmart would want this patent is that they have so many warehouses around the country that are full of shit that they might as well utilize the space for an electrical grid to make money. You could probably you could probably make a whole distribution of the Walmart buildings. I uh, mean, I think that they they methodically went after this because they knew that there was real developments going on in this to where there's people actually working on trying to figure out this. And they said, you know, we might be able to get some lawsuits out with the most effect in this. Yeah, patent trolling, but other legal forms of trolling. -na -na! A Hawaii man has trademarked Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> so. <laughs> I think this this is interesting going forward. <laughs> Wait, did, did he trademark the code or the phrase Bitcoin Cash or like the Word. logo? What did he actually the wording? Oh, how to say B Cash? Yeah, now you have yeah, to yeah, say yeah. B Cash because Bitcoin Cash is trademarked. Oh my you goodness. said it again. Uh, You're gonna be sued now. This is the kind like of anyone gives it. Yeah, anyone gives you shit now. You say sorry. Bitcoin Cash is trademarked. I'm not allowed to say that anymore. I have to say B Cash. <laughs> oh man. All right, and uh, two quick Lightning Network updates. Uh, Wait, Lightning. Jam. I forgot. <laughs> no, we're so close. <laughs> No, Shinobi, can you like imagine making that joke to Craig Wright because Craig Wright is such a fan of patents? He'd be like, darn, I have to respect patent law because I'm such a big fan of it. <laughs> Gotta respect the patent law. Yeah, that's what I talked about. All right, rapid fire though. Three more things. Lightning Gem, a uh, gambling app on the Lightning Network, has moved from testnet to mainnet. And pretty much what this does is... Um, you buy the rights to this this gem. Yeah, it's just kind of an imaginary thing. Uh, the price is set, and then somebody else can buy it, um, where part of the profit would be given back to you. But there is a 1 in 32 chance that the purchase price will be reset, and you will get nothing if you buy it. So it's just effectively a, a, a neat little gambling app. So... Uh, you 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 want to go piss away some satoshis playing with stuff? It's a nice thing to check out. And uh, in other news, have some updates from Jack Maulers on Zap Wallet. Um, he's set up a, a nice little mode to easily connect a mobile node to a, uh, a desktop node. Uh, and the neat thing I think is integrating Zap Wallet into iMessage with a widget. Uh, 
for those who don't know, I think a few versions back, iOS updated uh, iMessage to allow apps to pretty much integrate directly into it. So you can now set up a Lightning Network invoice, uh, fill in the amount, and just pop it off directly through iMessage uh, using your address books. So I think this is pretty neat uh, little progress progress as far as <laughs> as far as uh you know making this a little more uh, user friendly and uh streamlined you know that's you know one of the big uh, selling points of apple products is they've kind of really boiled things down to the bare minimum so non-technical people can you know wrap their heads around using their devices and i think you know as much as i personally don't like apple and their ecosystem this is a a nice step in the right direction as far as making lightning a lot more user-friendly and simple for kind of your average person to wrap their head around. And lastly, for a reason, if you guys start a long conversation about this, I will kill you. Uh, <coughs> Tether has issued a balance report. Now, this is not an audit. This is not following the procedures of an audit. This is not done by an audit company. This is done by a legal firm. But the one thing that I do want to point out here is that there is a former director of the FBI working for this legal firm. And in addition to being provided with bank balance sheets, which show two accounts, um, where is it? One of which is holding about $2 billion, the other holding about 500 million, which would actually put them in excess of reserves as far as circulating tethers right now. But this was actually legally attested to. So in making these statements regarding balances in these accounts, being found out to be providing false information would actually constitute perjury. So this is not just, here is a piece of paper, trust us the operators of Tether have literally opened themselves up to legal charges of perjury if these balance sheets in this report is found out to be false. So I, I would just like to point that out for people who love to scream scam, scream market manipulation every time the, the name Tether comes up. This, this is not just a piece of paper. This is them legally opening themselves up to charges if this report is found out to be fraudulent. And so, yeah, I know there's going to be people out there who scream, this still isn't good enough. This is proof. But at this point, like my, my only, my last statement on this is, do you seriously think that the operators of this company would have put themselves in this position, just running a giant Ponzi scheme? Because personally, I think that is absurd. Uh, I mean, <laughs> we've seen worse. Uh -oh. I mean, this is this is pretty good, but I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna make that determination. Look, I mean, like it is something to where, like we've said, like even if they release an audit, like back in them, you know, the way that things were running. I mean, like I'm sure that would have been thrown into question and everything. At least this is like. Uh, you know, like Shinobi's saying, I mean, like, if this is found out to be wrong, they're opening themselves up to, uh, you know, to some court cases. So, I mean, like, uh, I don't know, you know, it's like one of those things where so much, 
stuff wrapped up in it, it's hard to actually uh, get somebody to believe the information you're telling them. So I don't know. This might be a good way of doing it. I mean, like, it's pretty interesting. All right, though. Hey, any any last thoughts on Tether before we move along to well, the gracious reloaded thoughts? Yeah, <laughs> final comment, I guess, on that, uh, on that, um, what is it? The gym gambling, that thing looks fun. I'm going to have to check that out. It looks fun. I didn't really check it out too much. And, uh, yeah, just good to see an update from Jack and, uh, you know, the Zap wallet and seeing that uh, everything's okay from this head injury and things are still moving along. It's awesome. Uh, my, my only thought on this topic is that I'm waiting for the new troll show called Bitcoin Untethered. <laughs> That's gonna happen. That's a that's too good not to happen. All right, I guess uh, everybody ready for final final thoughts then. I thought first because I put it in the news desk. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if if you were not already aware, yesterday was the six year anniversary of Assange applying for political asylum at the Ecuadorian embassy in London. Uh, I believe it was granted later in the month. They did not grant it right away. That was just the anniversary of him applying. Um, and also yesterday was the uh, 38th, 38th session of the Human Rights Council, which, yes, the U.S. has left now. Surprise, surprise. Surprise they, you know, stayed in as long as they did. During the session, uh, one of the WikiLeaks lawyers, Jen Robinson, was actually there and she made a statement how uh, the UK has continued to disregard uh, the UN's determination that he was being arbitrarily detained by the UK and Sweden. Uh, the UK obviously is still saying that they would arrest him if he stepped out of the embassy. Sweden has, I think, I can't remember exactly when they dropped the case, but it was within the last two years, I think, that Sweden actually dropped the case completely. So there is no reason to arrest him anymore. There is no, There was never any charge to begin with, and now there is not even an investigation that is happening. So the UK, you know, continuing to hold him, there's really no legal basis for that because uh, I think even for what the rules are with um, breaking bail, but that, you know, that was... A lot, that was several years ago now, guys. Like, you really have a grudge about someone, you know, seeking political asylum. I, I think, <laughs> you know, that's an interesting legal area to discuss, but it's kind of getting ridiculous at this point. Um, so that was yesterday. There was a bunch of vigils um, as well to mark the six-year anniversary. There was a lot of people outside the embassy in particular in London. So... That's just happening, broken? hopefully. My speaker's broken. No, no, no. Can, can those, or those people just break in? I mean, there are so many. Like, you know, <laughs> <crowds>. No, <laughs> they, uh, they, they do not want to break in because they're supporters. Uh, they've, they've done this a number of times, but usually when the crowd gets that large, uh, there is a police presence, and I think even in the video you can hear police. I don't know if it's the police or the protesters, but uh, I know that there's there's usually a police presence when there's that many people. So they would probably, you know, get carried off and put a, put a guy flakes mask on everyone. Break <laughs> <laughs> well, so so the 
the suggestion almost since day one was because, you know, the Ecuadorian embassy is literally right down the street from Harrod. So the suggestion was... Getting a little choppy now. ...that Dury uh, should be dressed... Am I back? Yeah. Yeah. So the suggestion was that during the holiday season when Harrods has all of their um, employees in Santa costumes that a bunch of supporters would dress in Santa costumes as well and they would enter the embassy and Assange would be in a Santa suit and there would be this whole Santa craziness. Yeah. So people have thought of these things, but anyway, (laughs) it was the six-year anniversary and so just a reminder that this is still an ongoing situation and the U.S. government is apparently not giving up yet. I feel like that would be a reasonable, like, I don't know. I'm just thinking, like, maybe he's, like, uh, you know, I don't know. They need to invest in, like, some drone to just, like, land on that roof and take him off somewhere, like a Jetsons car or something. Because, yeah, I don't know. It's, that's ever going to happen, like. That's pretty crazy. It's like all the charges are dropped, and now what's the reasoning like as to why he's got to stay there? Well, so quickly, unfortunately, landing on the roof would not work because actually the Ecuadorian embassy does not control the entire building. They just own, they just have the first floor, so he can't even, you know, walk up the stairs to the roof because they, they only have the first floor of the building. There was even a period of time where they believe that some British intelligence uh, operatives were uh, taking, you know, they were occupying the rooms above the embassy and also across the street. So, yeah, that's that's how small of a space it is. I did read that yeah, it does have a courtyard to walk around and just land that sucker in there and get out of there. Nope, no, no courtyard. Literally, the only place that he can stand outside is the balcony. Um, and he yeah. hasn't done get that. In a Santa in a costume and jump into a bunch of Santas and get out of there. I don't know. It's a, it's pretty bad news. <laughs> well, so the the thing that happened, you know, over the holidays was actually that Ecuador made him an Ecuadorian citizen and then gave him diplomatic status because they were going to argue that he's not only an Ecuadorian citizen but a diplomat for Ecuador that he should be allowed under diplomatic immunity to leave the embassy, especially when there is no char criminal charge against him beyond bail, which is I think how it's classified in the UK, but it's not it's not an egregious enough crime to, you know, break this agreement of diplomatic immunity. And even with that refused to acknowledge that status and so he was not able to leave. Yeah, it feels like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I mean, at, at this point, it is pretty much just blatantly illegal attrition for the fact that he's been just blowing the fucking lid open on all the fucked up things that governments in the West have been doing for decades. I mean, like this. Well, they were kind of a pawn in 2016, right? It's like it's helping one side and then, you know, hurting the other and then they flip on each other and everything. It's It's wild. I couldn't even imagine. He's just, he's showing us what our governments are doing. I mean, point blank. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Like, maybe this whole thing, it does serve like a good purpose of just showing how tyrannical the government is. 
it's kind of said, you know, all the programmers, the hackers of the world are trying to figure out how to get one guy out of that hole and 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 just all the technology of the world cannot can no one has a has a good idea how to get him out you know it's uh. i mean there's i i wouldn't say that they can't get him out it's just i think that at oh god another ambulance <laughs> uh, so i i just think that at some point they decided that the risk of you know him getting hurt or the you know the circumstances of actually getting him out of there if that queen uh that led to you know violence or harsher you know restrictions on him I think they determined that that was not worth it. So it's not that they can't get him out. It's more that he would rather, he'd rather leave the embassy, you know, with the UK actually acknowledging, you know, his human rights and not having to, you know, sneak out. I see. It makes sense. Uh, on another note, uh, do you, do you know about the dead man switch thing? Uh, What's what's that about? Uh, I mean, the Dead Man Switch was something that they were, that was, I think it was being talked about like last year or in 2016. Um, it was, I can't, I don't know the details of that. Uh, I think that just refers to whatever, whatever procedures WikiLeaks might have for communicating that Assange is dead but i think most of it is just speculation like for example he he did a live stream i think i don't remember what year it was i think it might have been 2016 but he did a live stream where he actually read off uh the latest and um as a kind of proof of life thing and people were still making conspiracy theories about that so i all i know at this point is that he his only con in the embassy of his lawyers he's not allowed any other visitors besides lawyers so um he's not completely isolated yeah lawyers are good company mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, rick acnix nopara you guys got any final thoughts before we call it a day uh yes yeah. Yes, I, I I've just been invited in this moment uh, uh, to Chris DeRose's show for an interview. So we are. Oh going no! To about, Bitcoin untethered. You need to fork. You need to fork the show. Call it Bitcoin untethered. Hey, hey, no problem. Yeah, you, should, you should ask him why he blocked me for pointing out him misrepresenting other people's arguments and opinions and why he didn't respond at all to me pointing that out in the chat today and just pretended like I never said it. <laughs> I think I think you know the, the answer to that question, Shinobi. It's the answer to every question. Virtue? All right, all right, all right. So he, he said he likes you, actually, his words. Well, um, I don't like him because he lies. 
and misrepresents other people's stances and opinions and then blocks people who point that out. But yeah, uh, <laughs> anything sure, for you, Interesting discussion. Acnics alive? No? What's up? Any final thoughts? Nah. Nope. All right. Well, then I leave you all with a meme. And I would have had my bear market if it weren't for you meddling tethers. <laughs> oh, man. So, so I actually had one more thought. And it, well, not my thought, but someone else's thought that I thought was funny and is also related to this, uh, this bear market theme, which is uh, if you don't love me at 6,500, you don't deserve me at 20K. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, I guess uh, that's a wrap for the day, and we will see you all on Sunday. Adios. Later, everyone. <laughs>